Indeed, Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is breathed out by you. It comes from you, O Lord, and it carries your authority, it carries your truthfulness, it carries your faithfulness. Indeed, blessed Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, you would help us to see, O Lord, help us to see what it costs to be a Christian, what it costs to be a follower and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, I ask and pray that you give us minds to understand your word. I pray that your spirit will be working in each and every one of our hearts. Give us understanding, O Lord. Teach us your ways that we may walk in them and delight in them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through different parables when I've been preaching uh, in the mornings. And we come to these two parables here that Jesus told, two parables that are connected to each other. Because being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the greatest position and the greatest honor that anyone could have. And to be a disciple is to be a follower. To be a disciple is to be someone who follows after someone else. It's also to be a learner. And as a Christian, we follow Jesus Christ. We have our banner and our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. But following someone involves a cost, particularly if there are those who oppose, those who go against you. But we see here as we look at this passage that Jesus wants us to count the cost. And if we are already Christians, he wants us to see once again what that cost is to follow him. Have a look with me at verses, verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And I want you to get the idea here. It's not just his 12 closest apostles or 12 closest disciples. We see here that it's not just a crowd and it's not just crowds. There are great crowds. Even five chapters earlier, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and not just 5,000, that was just 5,000 men. There were women and children as well. And you can imagine the crowds that are, that are flowing around, the crowds that are gathering around Jesus, thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And they all, there would, there would have been excitement and there would have been a talking, there would have been, at, at, at least at a lot of the time, there'd be, as they were following Jesus, uh, there would be a lot of noise. And the thing is, with all of these people in the crowd, they all had different reasons for following Jesus Christ. One of the reasons Jesus gives is that they had their fill of the loaves. Five chapters earlier, with the feeding of the 5,000, he fed them when they were hungry. And Jesus later on says, you follow me because you just had your fill of the loaves. Because they were hungry. Another reason for following Jesus is for the signs and wonders that he did. A lot of them wanted Jesus to produce a sign for them, even though Jesus had given them many signs already. And Jesus said, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. And yet they were following him maybe for signs and wonders. Another reason is that he was just that next popular thing, that next fad that came and went in their minds. The next popular thing, people are talking about it, let's follow Jesus, let's see what he says. Maybe Jesus' teaching, which is pretty hard teaching, maybe to pique their interest. Maybe they wanted to hear more. 
Another reason for following Jesus is that they were true followers of Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning as we come before Jesus in his word this morning, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? And Jesus told these parables to prevent easy believism. Those who think that they can add Jesus onto their lives. Those who think that Jesus can just be a small part of their lives while they live the rest of their lives their own way. The thing is, the Christian life, as we will see this morning, is not an easy life. Jesus says there are two roads, and he tells his parables often to distinguish between people. As these people were following Jesus, Jesus told these parables so that the people would understand that to follow him didn't mean just physically walking after him. It didn't mean just knowing about him. But there would be cost involved. As Jesus himself said, the gate is wide and the road is easier that leads to destruction. And there are many who walk down that road. But narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. So as we look at these parables this morning, I want you to notice some Points, and I'm going to divide into two main points. What it costs, or count the cost to come, and count the cost to not come. But within that first point, counting the cost to come, we're going to see that there is going to be a necessary hatred. There's a cross that must be carried, a building that must be finished, and a war that must be fought. So have a look with me at verse 26, a necessary hatred. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Doesn't that jar with you? That word, that one word, hate. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, and Jesus puts it in the negative here to make his words even more shocking, that word there, hatred or hate, to detest. Aren't we told to love our neighbor? Isn't that the second greatest commandment? Are we not told even to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us? And yet Jesus here is saying we must hate those dearest to us. And in that culture, even greater than many of our cultures today, is that family was extremely important. Family meant everything. And so to them, these words, in some, in some respects, would be even more shocking than it is to us. And notice that Jesus doesn't just give one family member. He covers the whole range of family members. He gives all of those who are dearest to us. And what are we to make of this? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37, he said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And just before in that chapter in Matthew 10, he said that his words would not bring peace in one sense, but would bring a sword. It would divide family member from family member. Because Jesus' words bring opposition. Jesus' words bring enmity between family members. And here Jesus is saying that if you love your family member more than me, you cannot be my disciple. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 29, 
Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. And if you know the story, you'll know that one of them was his favorite. One of them had his eye. One of them he loved more than the other. And in Genesis 29:31, it says, The Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now, it doesn't mean literally that Jacob hated her and despised her, and yet he loved Rachel so much that Leah, that his love for Leah seemed like hatred in comparison. He had eyes for one woman and one woman only. And that, it, that is what it must be for us as Christians. We must have eyes for Christ and Christ above all else. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He drills down even deeper and he says, yes, even his own life. Yes, even his own life. So again, are we to hate our own lives? No. In Ephesians 5.28, Paul assumes that we love our own bodies. In that, in that chapter, in that section, he's talking about how the husband must love his wife as Christ loves the church. And then he gives an argument and says, you must love our wives as we love our own bodies. For no man hated his own body, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. And in the same way, as we are to love Christ, so much so that every other love that we have for, our, for those dearest to us pales in comparison, so our love and care for our bodies must pale so much in comparison to our love for him. Now this does not mean that we neglect our health. It does not mean that we starve ourselves or we get no sleep and we become ascetics. ascetics. But no, we must love Christ so much more. Christ comes first. And this first thing that, that anyone must count before they come to be a disciple is that they must have an all-absorbing passion and love for the Lord Jesus Christ that so eclipses all other loves, our greatest and dearest loves aside from him, that in comparison they seem like nothing. You can't just add Jesus onto your life. He's not just an add-on. This is what the Spirit first works in the heart. We see that the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first fruit of the Spirit? It's love. It's love. And that's what the Spirit works in our heart. Yes, a love for others, but a love for God, for Christ, first of all. What is the greatest commandment? Far much more than the second commandment in that sense is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Notice there that that command doesn't say love the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your mind, some of your soul, some of your strength. But the demand there is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength. And if it takes up all our heart, soul, mind and strength, then it's not going to leave room in one sense for someone else at the top. So that is the first thing. And I want you to think about this as it relates to us in our lives. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, We must choose rather to displease those we love most on earth than to displease him who died for us on the cross. And as we think about applying this to our own lives, we must be willing to offend family rather than offend Christ. 
because sometimes the greatest hindrances to our Christian walk can be our own family, worldly parents, lazy siblings, friends who tell us that we're trying too hard or that we're too zealous or that by seeking to obey Jesus that we're being legalistic. And maybe you have family members like that who discourage you to try and stop you from following Jesus Christ, who want greater allegiance to them than than to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is hard, and yet it can never be true love to do wrong and to fail to do right in order to please them. Firmness, accompanied by gentleness and consistency, often brings its reward. Do you please others or do you love others more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Would it hurt you more not to have their approval than to have the approval of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you seek to please God more than to please others? And do you love yourself more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. If you have any love that is greater than your love for him, you cannot be his disciple. Secondly, the second condition or the second part of being a Christian is that you must carry and bear your cross. Have a look with me at verse 27. It says, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Notice there another thing. You cannot be his disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow him. The thing is, Jesus is saying here that we must be so committed to Christ that we be prepared to suffer and die if necessary for him. To bear insults and a bad name for his sake. Now back then, more than even now, the cross was a symbol of suffering and shame. And sometimes when we wear it on our clothes or wear it on a, on a necklace, sometimes we lose sight of what the cross actually was. And yet it, it, it marked out to the, the first century um, people living in that time that it was suffering and shame that was in store for you. And the word Jesus used there is to bear and to carry a burden. To be a Christian, you must bear this burden. Notice there it says, Anyone who does not carry his cross, or as it's also translated, carry his own cross. No one else can carry that cross for you. No one else can bear that suffering for you. No one else can bear that shame for you. But no, you must come to Christ and you must bear your own cross. There is a direct link between coming to Christ, as it says there, following Christ, and bearing a cross. And believers in the first century knew this even more than we do now in Australia, because to come to Christ back then meant suffering. It meant that you had to give up everything. There was no such thing as taking up, it wasn't, definitely wasn't as easy, to just say you follow Christ Because as soon as you said that you follow him, it meant that you had to worship in secret. It meant that you were maybe fed to the lions. meant that you were burnt, crucified. Worse would happen to you. All throughout church history, 
to bear your own cross for the Lord Jesus Christ. To bear your own cross means that you must be prepared to bear and to undergo any suffering, any persecution that God lays in your path for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Some people are saying that in Australia this is what it will come to, bit by bit. Are you ready for this? Would you give up everything for Christ? Would you be ready to be thrown into prison for Christ, to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ? As we think about this, I want you to think of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I want you to think about what he gave up to come down to here. The thing is, the Lord Jesus Christ bore his own cross. He carried his own cross. He left glory in heaven, which he deserved. He deserves all the praise and honor and glory. And he came down as a man. And he took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh. And the thing is, he suffered. As he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We go home and we sleep at night on our mattresses and our cushions. And if our cushion is getting a bit uncomfortable, not that this is bad, but when our cushion gets uncomfortable, we go get another cushion. We just go get another one. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ said that he has nowhere to lay his head. The thing is, the Lord Jesus Christ bore that cross all of his life. It says he was despised and rejected by men. But not only through his life, he went to the cross. That same word there, to carry our cross, is the same word that was used of Jesus when he was carrying literally his cross, when he was bearing it to Golgotha, where he was staggering under the physical weight of that cross. And as he hung upon that cross, he was bearing that cross for us. As he suffered under God's judgment for us, he was bearing that cross. Friends, we will never have to bear the cross that Jesus had to bear. We will never have to bear, if we are Christians, we will never have to bear God's judgment and condemnation. But friends, as Paul said, we share in his sufferings, his physical sufferings. We share in his sufferings. But what love that Jesus would come down for us and that he would bear that cross for us. For us. How could we not give up all for him? How could we not give up everything for him and to carry our own cross, to make him first in our hearts? Because that is another condition to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be ready to give up everything and to suffer for the sake of Christ. I want you to notice the two parables that Jesus tells here, the first of which is a building finished. That's the condition, that's the cost, a building that is finished. Read with me at verses 28 to 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build, but was not able to finish. 
Now, I know certain people who are builders, and as any builder knows, that if you don't finish the building, you can't live in it. And I think that's not something that just builders get. That's something we all get. If the building's not finished, you can't live in it. If it's got no roof, you can't live in it. If it doesn't have four walls, it's a bit hard to stay in there. When you're building your own house, would you say that $20,000 will build you a house? I don't think so. When you're buying a car, can you come and offer them $50? No. When you're going overseas without a passport, is that possible? No, it's not. It seems silly. Why does it seem silly? Because you're not prepared. You don't count the cost of what is needed in order to finish the job, in order to buy whatever it is, or to do whatever you need to do. And it's the same for the Christian life. It's foolishness and it's silly to begin and to not finish. In this parable, the man doesn't finish what he started. It's like the parable Jesus told where the plant, it has no root But what happens, it springs up quickly. On the outside, it looks like it's got something. But because it has no roots, suddenly when hard times come, it dies and it withers and it perishes. And maybe you know people like this. Celebrities, friends, families, whoever it is. They seem to start well. But they finish very quickly. Or they fail to finish, is what I mean. They don't finish and they give up all too easily. I notice what happens here. Everyone mocks them. Why? They don't mock the person who doesn't come to Christ, but they mock the person who either comes to Christ and finishes or the person who comes to Christ even more so and doesn't finish. Why? Because it was foolish of them. Because many think they can come to Christ and they don't count the cost. They don't finish the race That's why you have all the commands in Scripture to endure to the end. To prevent easy believism, thinking that you can have Jesus as your Savior and he did things for you and he saved you, but now you can live however you like. You have Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. No, those things go hand in hand. If Jesus is going to be your Savior, then he has to be Lord of your life. You cannot be half-hearted to get into the kingdom. And now let me say this carefully. Nothing that we do will get us into the kingdom of heaven. And yet to get into the kingdom of heaven, you cannot be half-hearted. No works of ours will merit us heaven. And yet Jesus says in Luke thirteen twenty four, strive. That word there means to agonize. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. The half-hearted won't get into the kingdom of God. There's a cost. To be a nominal Christian is easy. To turn up to church, no problem. But to follow Christ day in, day out, that's hard. It will cost us time. It will cost us energy. It will cost us our favorite sins that we love so much but have to give up. It will cost us worldliness. It will cost us popularity and fame. It will cost us self-righteousness and self-dependence. It costs us so much. It will cost us a consistent and continual striving to be holy, even as God is holy. There is a cost to live the Christian life, 
and to endure to the end. The thing is, the one who is not saved has neither the Spirit of God, nor a new heart, nor a dependence on God's grace. Therefore, they cannot get to the end. But friends, if you're a Christian, if you have the Spirit of the living God within you, if you have a new heart, if you have God's Word written on your heart, God says that He will cause you to walk in His ways. It says that He will keep you. And Jesus said, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The thing is, believers, if, if you are a believer here this morning, take heart, you will never be lost. Christ will help you to the very end. He prays for you that your faith may not fail. And yet, you must strive. There is hard work, there is energy, there is agonizing that must happen. And lastly, I want you to see a war fought. For counting the cost to come, I want you to see, lastly, there is a war that must be fought. Have a look with me at verses 31 and 32. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. A king here is going to war. He's fighting another king and yet he realizes that he's severely outnumbered. 20,000 against his 10,000. And he must sit down, he must consider and he must meditate. Can he fight and can he win? Can he fight and can he beat this other king? The thing is when you become a Christian you go into a spiritual war. You go into a spiritual battle and it's something that we so often forget. Let me read from Ephesians 6, verse 11 to 13. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's important to remember. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand firm. The thing is, friends, we are in a spiritual battle if we are Christians. We are in a spiritual battle. And that is what we do when we come to Christ. We realize that there are so many more people out there against us. There are so many more people out there. There are so many worldly influences. And the devil and his demons are doing everything they can to stop us. They're doing everything they can to discourage us and to deaden us in the Christian life and to divide us and disunite us. The thing is, the Christian life, it's not a time of peace. It's not a time of peace here on this earth. Yes, there is peace with God when you come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, with the world, with the flesh, with the devil, it's war. It's war. And if you want an easy, carefree life of worldly pleasure, you don't sign up to be a soldier. You don't sign up to be a soldier. Many want religion when it's comfortable for them. I remember in the book of Pilgrim's Progress, there's a man who 
who only wants religion when he's in his golden slippers. But as soon as it becomes hard, as soon as there's a cost, these people don't want to fight. These people don't want to fight. But as Christians, we have a spiritual battle. Whenever we tell someone the gospel, friends, we're waging that war. Because the devil would try everything he can to take that word away. When we pray and intercede for people, we must intercede for them with earnestness and sincerity. Because it's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war. Friends, is this you? A soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ? As Paul said, a soldier does not get entangled in civilian pursuits, but his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Friends, has your heart grown complacent? I know so often I lose, I lose sight of this spiritual war that we're fighting. Friends, remember that we fight a war. The king meditates whether he can possibly fight this seemingly overwhelming enemy. And yet, as was said in the Old Testament, when there were thousands of those surrounding Elisha and his servant, Elisha said, there are more than us. He said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. He said, there are more with us than with them. There are more than us than with them. And if 10,000 times 10,000 angels were not enough, which they are, we have the almighty God, God on our side. We have the almighty God. It's not even a fair fight for the devil. Even though on one level it seems that we have 20,000 coming against our 10,000. Even though you may feel that in and of yourself, which is true, in and of yourself you have nothing to fight this war. Friends, fighting against that 20,000, we have the almighty God on our side. As a Christian goes forth, he goes forth with a risen Reigning and victorious Lord, as it said in Psalm 2, who will shatter his enemies? Who will shatter his enemies? It says that his anger flares up in a moment. It says, kiss the son lest he be angry. Pay homage to the son. Surrender the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We have a king who has shattered his enemies, who is crushed. Satan, who rules the nations, who triumphed over the devil, who will build his church. Friends, count the cost to come if you have never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you are a Christian, remember the cost of what it is to be a Christian and a soldier and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 33 To sum it all up, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You must give up all that you are and all that you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must give up all that you are and all that you are and lay it before his feet for Christ. For his kingdom, for his church, his desires come first. In a certain sense, no one who comes to Christ has to give up any more than anyone else. In some respects, there are those who are living deeper in sin. There are some who have 
deeper patterns of sin that they must give up, and yet, in the same sense, the cost is always the same for everyone to come to the Lord Jesus Christ because you must give up everything for him. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I want you to think about this. Is it worth it? Count the cost not to come. We've counted the cost to come, what it will cost you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But I want you to count the cost not to come. And firstly, you will miss out on the kingdom. You will miss out on the kingdom. Just before our passage from verse 25, there's a parable Jesus tells of the great banquet. A great banquet where he invites many, and yet there are those who are invited who never come. They're too busy. It's too much to come. It will cost them too much. They've got their own things, their own distractions. And yet Jesus gives this picture here of those who come. There's a great banquet that's on offer. And that signifies the great abundance of God's grace found in the gospel. Grace now, glory with God forever. To be eternally satisfied in him. And if, this, if, if you're a Christian, this is what you get. This is what you get. This is what you miss out on if you're not a Christian. I want you to count the cost to not come is you miss out on this banquet. You miss out on Christ himself. Are you weary of the Christian struggle? Are you weary of fighting? Are you weary of struggling against sin? Friends, I want you to remember that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. They're not even worth comparing. They don't even come on the same scale compared to what we have in Christ. I want you to remember him who bore the cross for us. If you are weary, remember him who bore it for us. He didn't deserve it, and yet he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might, as Peter said, that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. Are you weary of struggling against sins? Friends, take heart. Remember Christ. And remember that the sufferings of this present life are not worth even comparing to what is to come. Maybe you've forgotten, as a Christian, maybe you've forgotten the cost. Maybe in the affairs of this life, maybe you've forgotten the cost of what it is to be a Christian. I want you to remind yourself of it this morning. I want you to think about these things of what it actually means to be a Christian. Repent for holding back anything for him, from him. This must be a continual thing. For friends, don't our hearts hold back things from him? Don't they grow sluggish? Don't we forget that it must cost us everything? Friends, repent from holding back anything from him. Surrender everything to him. Give up all that you are and all that you have to all that he is. But not only do you miss out if you don't come to Jesus, not only do you miss out on the kingdom, but your end is destruction. Because verse 31 and 32 also applies to those who are not Christians because at the end of the day, they're at war with God. They're at war with God. And here the 20,000 is God and his armies and his angelic hosts. Because if you're not a Christian, I want you to think about this. And, I, and if you're a Christian, for those who are not saved, this is where they stand if they do not have the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where your friends and your relatives who do not know Christ, this is where they stand. They stand at war with God. 
And they have their puny army themselves and even this world and they're trying to come against the God of the universe. They're trying to come against 20,000 or in reality 10,000 times 10,000 and the almighty risen reigning victorious Christ. It's like a flea banging its head against a cliff. It's not going to do much good at all. On Judgment Day, it will be too late to surrender and to be called Christ's. On that Judgment Day, it will be too late. But no, if you've never come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he offers terms of peace. You don't get to, you don't get to set the terms of peace. You ask for them, you say, give me your terms of peace. Forgive me. And you must surrender all to him. You must bow the knee. You must take his offer of peace. Because every moment that you stand outside of the kingdom, you stand at war with the Almighty God. It's people outside, people who, who are not Christians, they're not neutral. They're not neutral. They're enemies of God and they're enemies of the kingdom, however nice they are. Verse 34 and 35, Jesus says these words. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. A false profession thinking you can thinking be you thinking you can be half-hearted thinking you can just easily add Jesus onto your life without counting the cost it's like salt that loses its saltiness what does Jesus say it's good for nothing it's good for nothing it's only fit for the manure pile it stinks in God's sight but friends as that psalm says blessed are all who take refuge in him This morning, I want you to count the cost to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to count the cost not to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will see how much better serving Jesus is. How much better is it to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? It will cost you everything. And yet you gain far much more. Come to Christ. Give all up to him. And you will find that he is the best Savior and Lord ever. Let me pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he does not call us to do anything which he has not done first. To an even greater, to an infinitely greater magnitude. May we see that we must give up everything not earning ourselves any place before you. But we must give up everything because there can be no other person reigning and ruling in our hearts. I pray, O God, that indeed those of us here who are yours, who are Christians, that you would help us to see the cost, to remember that the Christian life is not easy, to take courage and to take heart, and yet also, Lord, if we are holding anything back, Lord, please, Help us to repent of it quickly and enable us, Lord, by your grace to continue to give up all that we are to all that the Lord Jesus Christ is. Lord, if there be those in this, in this house this morning who do not know you, 
or who, O oh Lord, have been operating under a false assurance, thinking they can just simply be half-hearted and have you as sharing, not the top place, but sharing a place with others. Lord, I ask and pray that you would help them to realize the cost, that you would, O oh Lord, help them to see that the kingdom is worth giving up everything for and that they gain far much more in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Christ. Amen.